0: This is a podcast where we invite people to share their own experiences with mental health and explore how it's informed their own lives and careers. Our aim is to take a break from the usual conversations and face how universal these feelings are. Andrew WK is a musician whose work is an endless celebration of partying. Not getting fucked up per se, but rather the more philosophical suggestion that partying can be a way to celebrate life, happiness and what makes you feel good. Across almost two decades, he's also developed a huge following as a public speaker and writer, His advice column in The Village Voice is especially loved. And last year, the American Association of Suicidology named him the person of the year. Across the show, we touch on several aspects of depression, anxiety, and other mental health realities. Please be conscious of that if you've been affected by this topic in your own life. This show, it's called The Anxiety Hour, so let's start with an introduction to your anxiety.
1: Well, for me, it would be the anxiety 24 hours times 365. Or the anxiety infinity, but I don't know that anxiety is the go-to word I would use to describe uh, the feeling that I have at at all times. It's it's I would describe it more as fear or horror or uh, tension, um, distress. Anxiety f- to me feels more fast-moving. Uh, there's moments I feel that if I'm running late to something, for example, but underneath it the persistent tone is one of uh, high alarm, I would say, just being alarmed at reality itself.
0: So much of your work is obviously around this kind of message of, I suppose, I don't want to say positivity because that sounds kind of a little bit one-dimensional, but I think you know what I'm kind of saying. How did you come to be someone who feels in the state of high alarm most of the time to have so much of your public work? kind of focusing on feeling good and trying to get to that space of happiness?
1: Well, because I didn't feel good and I didn't feel happy. So I tried to focus on work that was about feeling how I wished I felt. It was aspirational, uh, therapeutic for me as well. But uh, I've always been trying to cheer myself up, first and foremost, I suppose, in a self-centered way, but also just out of pure desperation.
0: I mean, the obvious question there is, is it exhausting,
1: I was thinking about that actually on the way over here because, uh, I've been as nervous to participate in this, uh, podcast as just about anything else. And I was wondering what life would feel like to not have that, that, that tension, that expectation, that dread, the, uh, the ringing in the soul, so to speak. Um, I can't imagine what life would be like. It seems like it would be a lot easier and maybe more boring. And so, in in a strange way, um, the work that I've wound up doing isn't what I enjoy in in a perverse sense. But that's why I enjoy it. I do what I don't like because it makes my life more intense in a good way. Perhaps because I can control it. Um, So, in the face of so much fear about what I cannot control, if I can control some of the things that I am afraid of or I do find challenging or, or uncomfortable then that helps to uh, alleviate the 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 suffering from that which is out of my control
0: I think that's kind of a really interesting thing that I've heard repeated from people speaking to for this project is that when we kind of really look at our relationships with our own mental health there's a lot of stuff in our own life that we wouldn't have if we didn't have those
1: yeah exactly and that makes you wonder if it really is such a bad thing after all um, how we sum up these Vast parts of our inner experiences is uh, a, a futile effort. I think it it might not even be healthy or necessary um, to make these definitive judgments about what parts of ourselves uh, are bad and what parts are good, what parts of our character or personality are bad. Because, as you just said, so much of what I thought of myself as the worst uh, flaws in my psyche were uh, the motivation for doing all the most meaningful activities I've ever participated in.
0: When you're sitting in a podcast booth like this, actively reflecting on things, that is a tidy narrative, obviously. But when you're actually in a pit of despair, does that offer you a comfort?
1: I suppose so. I mean, it's just like a flavor, a lingering taste in the back of my mouth at all times. Um, so it's, so it's so persistent that I, I don't actually think about it that much. And, yeah, I, I guess in moments of real frustration, I, I think I experience that as the most palpable and um, physical form of, of, of bad feeling is this frustration about everything. Uh, in those moments, I, I'm able to pinpoint areas of life that are very clear, um, even if they're clear in a negative sense. But there's so much confusion um, that I encounter in most of my day-to-day life uh, about everything, about how to be a person. I'm just confused. But there's certain things I'm not confused about. For example, music. For example, the people in my immediate family that I love very much. For example, that cuddling and petting a, a chubby young dog feels good. There are certain things that are not confusing to me. Pizza, that is not confusing. That's something I'm clear on. And I take uh, great strength, I suppose. I get great strength from those those moments of clarity, those areas of clarity, and I try to use them to anchor pinpoints of stability in this otherwise disorienting experience called day-to-day life.
0: Your work is a real tool for a lot of people to turn to when they're feeling overwhelmed. But in your own life, what are the day-to-day tasks that you find most difficult or confronting?
1: Just my own weakness, first and foremost. I mean, in any outward circumstances that seem like they're flawed or they're not going my way are really just another challenge to see, all right, Andrew, are you going to be strong enough to face this with some kind of maturity and dignity? Or are you just going to flail away like uh, you know a, a, a fool? So those are, the, those are the struggles. I mean, it's just managing my own errors. And trying to, uh, first and foremost, limit the damage that caused, uh, caused to the people most close to me. And then, um, I, I suppose, on the, the, the next level, try to uh, limit the damage that they could cause to, uh, to myself, and then after that to the, 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 the larger world. And there's a limit to how much you can manage those flaws. But it's, it's, that's a rigorous effort and constant effort and a necessary wound.
0: That feeling of um, the fear of kind of hurting other people or being an inconvenience of other people I think is pretty relatable. Not to sound too much like a psychology 101 student, but does that come from somewhere tangible in your life? Is it from a certain experience?
1: I heard it uh, described very well uh, just the other day that um, with most people, I would say to a lesser extent with my mom and dad and my brother, But just about everybody else, and and now to this point, you know, my wife and my other immediate family members, but going back to very early childhood, there was a sense as though I was participating in a false version of human activity, and that everybody else around me, including my immediate family, uh, understood something that I hadn't figured out yet. Now, when I was very young, I figured that was natural, and that as I grew up, I would get it. It would all click, and I would know how to be a person and how to be happy and how to like the things that everybody else liked or seemed to like and that I that I wanted to like and that I would have a kind of easygoing naturalness uh, uh, about the myself and the world, and, uh, you know, that never happened. But uh, the, the, the new approach I'm taking is to try to make peace with that, accept it, also imagine that maybe everyone is feeling some version of that, and it may manifest differently in, in, in their personality. They may interact with their relationship to that feeling of wrongness. You know, they might not even consider it a feeling of wrongness. It could be a great feeling to some people. And, and that's why they have that easygoing, well-adjusted uh, personality. But I've, I've given up trying to fix it to some extent. And uh, now am just trying to manage it.
0: I find that really interesting. And I've read you kind of speak about that before. And it's something that I think about a lot So much conversation around mental health and mental health support feels like you're trying to get to a space where you don't feel bad anymore or where you're kind of fixed, where something I really like about your message is kind of embracing the chaos and understanding it. In your own life, do you feel you are personally kind of working towards something within your own experience of mental health?
1: Well, to me, the whole thing is, is, is holistic. I don't I find it stressful actually to compartmentalize it as mental or even health it's just trying to figure out how to be a human being or being you know becoming a human being and that this is all part of it these are challenges that I don't know if they should be celebrated although that is the part the party mindset Um, that's easier said than done I think they should be understood as part of uh, the world or mother nature dealing with your soul and and molding it through both rewards and punishments both ordeals and uh, m- miracles of good fortune into something worthy of a human life and that's i suppose the project you're trying to let life build you uh, in in accordance to the its own image and also into, to your image i suppose in a, a collaborative way uh to build you into a, a person, and it takes your whole life for that to, to, to occur. So, we're, yeah, I feel like I'm leading up to that. I have to think that, otherwise it feels like it's all pointless.
0: Something that I kind of think about a lot is, you know, a couple hundred years ago, mental health and spirituality and a sense of self were all the same, And it's kind of then became quite separated out as sort of a more clinical way of looking at ourselves. But in the past couple of years, you know, we've had this really big renaissance when it comes to speaking about mental health. And we're now getting to the point where, you know, you're almost saying, well, if everyone experiences this, why isn't this considered normal? I'm interested in someone who has been really active and engaged in this stuff for 20 years, how you have seen the public conversation shift.
1: I think like you identified it, it became more, and I mean this um, not in a a negative sense, more fashionable, you know, cooler, but that's good. You know, just like uh, something like recycling that would have been completely unheard of 50 years ago now is at one point became cool and fashionable and now is, is, is almost commonplace in the best way. So... If the, if the goal is to develop, uh, to adjust ourselves so that, as you pointed out earlier, we never feel sad or at odds with this version of social life, of civilization, I think that it, that's in fact uh, more mentally ill than anything. I think uh, developing the, the empathy and the understanding to tolerate discomfort and confusion in life is is the real goal um, and that may be a newer frontier that, that may have been been something that's developed over the, the past several decades uh, that maybe would have not have been seen as the goal from one's efforts to uh, to explore the, the the mental realm but I think now it, it, it I, there's always been figures that have I uh, have understood the complexities there and making peace with one's own inability to find inner peace is a big step.
0: The promise of feeling better one day is so seductive, and you can see why it's permeated these conversations for eternity. Do you think that people can make peace with not finding peace, though?
1: I think so. It's a paradox. But the the deeper we go into a lot of the fundamental uh, phenomenon of human life, the more paradoxical it gets, the more okay you feel about not being okay. Um, my dad always said that <laughs> he had a joke about going to see a, a, a therapist or an analyst or a psychiatrist um, and he gave the example of someone who uh, an adult who wet their bed uh, because of their emotional distress and they were telling their friend that they had been seeing this counselor about wetting their bed and the, the, the friend asked oh well do you still wet the bed he said oh yeah nothing's changed now I just feel good about it and um, I think that it's not meant to belittle these efforts. It's, it's meant to acknowledge that the one thing we can change is our attitude. Um, and even that is, is difficult. I mean, that's, that's no easy task. We want so badly to impose our desires and our will upon the world, and then we become resentful when we realize that the world is not there to do what we want it to do. And then how we manage that resentment, that natural frustration, that confusion is what ultimately I think defines us as as adults.
0: I'm sure a lot of people kind of see you as speaking from a space of, I won't say kind of being at peace with these things because I don't think that that's what it is, but of being kind of connected to your own feelings around it. But I mean, obviously you weren't born like that. As you've obviously become more successful and the demand on you has increased, I mean, even today, you've come straight from an into you'll go to a keynote later, you're busy. How do you maintain that level of engagement when you're kind of being asked to turn out that experience again and again and again when you're doing so many interviews, though?
1: So I feel very motivated and very obligated and very grateful. Um, it doesn't feel like a, a demand putting upon me by other people. It feels like this great uh, return of, of enthusiasm to something I've put out and asked other people to engage in. You know, I'm asking a lot of people to to engage with this, and it's even could be seen as quite confrontational. It is a bit of an intense presentation, even though I've tried to make it very straight and direct. Uh, it, it, it comes on pretty strong. So if someone chooses to spend some of their precious time, their literally their time of their life with me. and and this party I I, I have to show up you know I feel like I have made a promise to represent this party spirit and, and do all I can to support it
0: you obviously have a sense of responsibility to your audience and the people who kind of look to you and increasingly I mean through your village voice column and through your writing people are directly asking you for advice and coming to you for advice how do you kind of manage I suppose that growing sense of responsibility as you become a bigger figure in people's lives?
1: I follow a lot of instinctual impulses, and those can be difficult to understand, but they're usually very clear. And if someone is interacting with me and it feels right, I go with it. If it doesn't, I try to have the courage to not go with it. I've been, again, very, very lucky, I think, largely because of the themes at the center of my offerings that people are generally in a good mood and in an elevated state when I do get to interact with them. I'm, I'm at my best when I'm deeply in the throes of this effort. And I, I think a lot of other people that come to the shows or come to an event or just reach out to me, they're at their best. Uh, and we're motivated together. We're given a reason to be at our best by this shared interest we have in the power of partying so it's it's really not that hard for me i mean to want to talk to people who are psyched on the same things i am who are into partying who are are looking for the same answers that i'm trying to find i feel like we're part of a team i feel like we're brothers and sisters
0: if you like hearing different points of view you should check out Extremes, another Vice podcast hosted by Vice.com editor Julian Morgans. He also explores the thoughts and experiences we rarely talk about, like what motivates a serial arsonist.
2: I borrowed Mum's car and uh, I drove out to the spot and I threw some matches on the ground. When I left, the area that was burning wouldn't be any bigger than this table. Several hours after, it was several kilometres long.
0: You do seem kind of like you were biologically designed to do this. You know, the way you obviously absorb energy from people and absorb ideas. Do you ever kind of think about what you would be doing if you weren't this?
1: I try to, and uh, <laughs> it descends into uh, you know, a very dark place. I, I don't really know because I'm also aware, as I, I said earlier, that at any moment it seems like this could all stop. And that's when I start thinking about, well, what am I going to do? What on earth am I going to do? I don't know how to do anything else other than this. This is all I've done for really the last 25 years in one way or another. I didn't take the time to develop any skills outside of this. So it's quite terrifying. I mean, talk about motivation. That's a quality pressure right there. I mean, when you have nothing to fall back on, you've burned every bridge as you went over it you don't give yourself a lot of options except to persevere and continue. As Winston Churchill said, success is really just the ability to weather failure after failure with no loss of enthusiasm, and I'm certainly trying to keep that attitude in mind.
0: Reading the way people write about you and looking at the way people speak about you online, there is this kind of uh, repeated messiah idea, the fact that you're very charismatic, you've got this kind of leader sense. How does it feel when people do kind of talk about you in quite, I mean, in, in a deity kind of way?
1: Well, the feeling they're putting, they're putting the feeling on the pedestal, and I do too. And the feeling isn't me. I'm just a delivery mechanism for that feeling. The feeling is the feeling of being alive. It's the power of music. It's the power of understanding. It's those breakthrough clarities. It's the feeling of being in love with life itself. And I drop down to my knees in awe of that feeling too they may get it confused with me but I think we all understand and certainly I do that I am not synonymous with that feeling any less or any more than anybody else is but it's the feeling itself that I'm searching for and uh, I may be a custodian of that feeling or a, 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 a tool that people can use to access that feeling but it's very clear to me that I'm just a way to get to it I'm a means to an end
0: in your own experience, how do you personally describe what that feeling is?
1: To myself, I don't have to describe it. That's one of the great joys because <laughs> I, I, we each know it. It's one of the few instances in which I can even use the word to know, K-N-O-W, and actually feel confident about it, to have real knowledge from the interior uh, uh, of, a, of a benevolent force in the world.
0: How does it feel to you?
1: It feels like everything has purpose and meaning, a, a purpose and meaning that's, that's beyond rationality and, and, and even beyond understanding. It can't be understood. It can only be experienced. Uh, I think music is such a beautiful illustration of this this power at the heart of all things because music is able to express exactly the thing that I can't express with words. You, you put a melody and a rhythm together, and all of a sudden it gives form to this sensation, to this idea of there is a meaning to life. Even if we don't know what that meaning is, we can experience the sensation of there being a meaning.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: The party feeling and this idea of like the party is the ideology has. Obviously, become so central and so beloved, and is such a clean and like lovely idea. Where did that actually come from, though, in your own life? Well,
1: it can be very tempting. Perhaps um, it's almost irresistible to develop a world view, a lens with which to view things that makes the world uh, relatable and understandable. That allows us to to, to sort of dominate the world to a sense because we can understand it and we can see it all for what it really is as though we've cracked the code. Uh, that may even be human nature to, to, to do that. It may be even necessary to some extent just to navigate how, how complicated the world is. Just daily life is is overwhelming. So you do have to sort things out somehow and, and, and create a, a filter to put, to put your views through. But the, the danger of course is that then you start to conform reality to your worldview to your mindset so partying more than an ideology i hope it's an attitude it's an attitude which is very different than uh, a mindset an attitude is based more on the heart uh, and the soul and and the feeling the gut instincts Uh, a mindset is of course based on the mind how you interpret things with your thoughts so the attitude the party attitude is to ultimately develop the courage and the capacity and the strength and the openness to consider as many different worldviews and points of view as you can, without having to necessarily adhere to them, to be able to explore and celebrate the confusion of life rather than resent it and seek to dominate it and strip it away and lock it down into something that is is more manageable. You know, I don't think life will ever really be manageable. And or if it is, then we've given up too much of what makes life exciting and thrilling and unpredictable.
0: Do you ever feel overwhelmed by, I don't know, like the Andrew WK like machine?
1: Not so far. Maybe another twenty years. I mean, I got a lot of good role models around around me as well, and, and people that I, I I'm just so lucky to work with who believe in in this and believe in me. And you know, it's it, as much as it seems at times as though it's me alone uh, behind the scenes. It's surely not. And I think that's the key for me is is having an amazing group of people. I've always been able to work with amazing other people. It it takes the pressure off. It it, it helps me keep perspective. And in in the grand scheme of things, this is so, even the the, the greatest efforts I could ever make or the greatest achievements or ambitions I could ever fulfill are so (laughs) inconsequential that in a strange way, this all does just seem like a game I'm playing for my own sake, you know, with creating these high stakes and this dramatic importance. But it's really like uh, I'm just a bug, you know, uh, in the ground, dreaming that I am uh, a, a god or something and trying to aspire to that. But you got to do something with your time during the day.
0: I really like that idea. I know personally, I often find it like incredibly comforting that no one will remember me no one remember this the earth will keep spinning one day it might just be a molten ball of lava and nothing matters
1: realizing our own smallness is both liberating and also crushing realizing the impermanence of everything is so overwhelmingly bleak that you almost have no choice but to flip it into something joyful and uh, absurdly optimistic and i think that that says a lot. we have willpower and self-awareness perhaps for no better reason than to constantly reorient ourselves to the pressures uh, of life in a way that is more empowering than it is oppressive.
0: I mean, just from speaking to you for half an hour or so, I get this understanding that you have obviously, and I'm sure as many of us have, We create these kind of layers of reasoning and understanding that we use to kind of filter out the bad and scary feelings. But I'm always interested to ask people, what were you like when you were a kid and you were kind of starting to maybe navigate these emotions in your own life?
1: Well, I don't remember a time when I felt separate from myself now, meaning it has seemed like one long interior Experience my inner life has felt very unbroken. The continuity is, is uh, I suppose, it's shocking almost. So, oftentimes people have asked me, or I have even tried to ask myself, what was a turning point? What was a breakthrough? There, the whole thing has been one, one long breakthrough. I suppose emerging from my mom that was the breakthrough, and uh, I, I think, as I said earlier, I was waiting for this 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 moment where everything was going to make sense and uh <laughs> that's just seemed less and less likely the longer i've gone on and then it started to occur to me well maybe there is not going to be this big change if this is just how it's going to be so I, I better figure out how to deal with it
0: when you were a kid were you i mean were you lying in your backyard staring at this guy kind of asking yourself these big questions
1: um, i don't remember talking to really anybody about these things uh I didn't have any reason to. Uh, it didn't occur to me that anyone else was thinking about them or not thinking about them, and they, they were so second nature that I don't even know that I thought I was thinking about them. I didn't lay around that much. I was pretty active. Just things felt very intense, you know, very, very exhausting. That's how I remember feeling as, as a young kid, just why is it always so intense? Why is everything so intense? Um, other people didn't seem like they were feeling like that. They seemed calm and like they were having fun and and I wished that I could figure out how to do that, uh, and then I gave up trying to figure out how to do that.
0: I remember speaking to someone a while ago um, and kind of just in passing, I don't know referencing kind of some of the things we've been talking today, and they said, "You know it's so funny i've never I've never felt like that. I've never really had those. I've read people talk about these feelings and i've never had that and it was the first time i'd ever been like god people there are people out there who just don't feel scared and anxious and depressed sometimes and i mean obviously your ability to kind of navigate and understand those feelings has become so vital to you and to people around you but have you ever felt resentful that you got this brain
1: no no not at all but i have met people like you've described and and i think what it is i think they're gifted i think they're gifted just like someone could be gifted at any number of things. I think there are people that are gifted with their emotions. Some people are gifted with mathematics, some with, with drawing or painting, some with music, some with athletics. Some people are gifted with their personality or their adjustment to the world. And I don't think that should be overlooked or I don't think we need to be skeptical about that. It makes perfect sense to think that some people just wouldn't have these issues. At the same time, their gift might be an ignorance to the fact that they actually don't feel that great. But what a great gift to have, you know. Uh, and, and again, going back to something you pointed out, who's to even say that what we experience as this not great feeling is actually not a great feeling? It, it, it's, it, it's hard to start to even make heads or tails out of some of this when you talk about it enough because it's almost as though they're interchangeable. Which is the dark side? Which is the light? Can they even exist without one another? You know, that's where the partying comes in. It, it's sort of a throwing up of your hands, not in uh, resentment or anger, but in rejoicing in the insanity of uh, of this whole thing called being a human.
0: I remember after that conversation, walking away from it and thinking like, everyone, almost everyone I know and interact with probably seems like they feel like how I feel. Except there's one person who I never met anyone else who'd said that, but somehow that person is the baseline, and I was kind of like, maybe I'm the baseline, and that person is like the one that's outside of it.
1: Yeah, who knows, exactly, that's that's the other dilemma, is we can never really know what someone else is thinking or what it feels like to be someone else. It's quite horrifying to, to realize just how cut off we are, in a sense.
0: obviously when people speak to you a lot of it is going down these kind of rabbit holes which is very interesting if you're someone like me on the other side of the mic but then you obviously go away and live in your brain after someone prods you to get these responses do you find that you have to kind of create your own mechanisms to stop yourself thinking like that though because I mean it must get exhausting
1: well again I just have felt like life is pretty exhausting but in a in a in an enthralling way, in the, the way you feel exhausted after a, a, a playing a game of sports or, or, or having some kind of uh, intimate physical experience. It's, it's a life-affirming exhaustion. It, it shows you that you're giving your all to your chance to be alive. So I don't really know what the other option would be, just to, to rest all day, that, that's the thing I try. And I'll, I'll go, like anyone, you think, okay, what is the point of, of this effort? Okay, to be successful. And then what, what do you get from that success? Well, I guess you can kind of, sort of, not work as hard. Then you just get to rest. It's like, what the, what fun is resting? You know, resting is is where the mind can really go into, uh, to dark areas. From my experience, so staying active, staying in the throes of the intensity, uh, has given me a reason to try to rise up again. As I said, this is all therapeutic. There's a uh, undeniable confessional element to this, and there's something about the human spirit that really benefits from letting it out, even if it's vomiting it out, you get it out, get it out and then and then move on
0: You never kind of wish someone would just ask you about something else?
1: Well, people do ask me about other things, people ask me about keyboard and music and chord changes and lyrics and pizza and uh, I have an opportunity to talk about a lot of different things, but I enjoy speaking about this topic which I I find to be the most tantalizing topic of all, which is life itself, uh, being alive. I don't really see what else there is to talk about. And it seems that every other topic is just a variation of this ultimate topic, just a reflection or a deflection of this Mm -hmm. ultimate topic. And that we might as well face it courageously and even better if we can enjoy diving into it. I don't see how it can hurt, although there's times when I, I... I understand why someone would say, well, "Just what's the point of talking about all this?" Hey, you know what? <laughs> you might be onto something there.
0: That's not my instinct to say.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that because that's what we've been doing for the last uh, hour almost.
0: So, right now, after you know, we've kind of gone through all these things, which are things that journalists go through with you a lot. How do you feel right now?
1: Uh ill at ease. Uh, but but there's not a lot of dread. So that's good. A lot of times I'll have that butterfly in the stomach nausea of dread uh, of, of anticipation so extreme that it becomes physical. But I've also learned, perhaps like you had brought up earlier, that I often have felt this way. I feel like I didn't do a good job. I shouldn't have said that. I wish I hadn't talked about that. I could have phrased that better. Why did I use that word? For example, a few moments ago, I said my uh, my lowest capabilities or my worst, you know, I was afraid of my worst capacities. Should have said I was afraid of my most malevolent capacities. So I can correct these things sometimes like there, or I just have to let it go and try to do a better job next time, which, again, is motivating, And oftentimes, as you've probably experienced from your work, it's not as bad as you thought you did. And if you are going to be uh, hard on yourself, you're the best person to be hard on oneself, I think. I think that's very important. I think that uh, developing a a gentle relationship with your own brutality and your own criticism is important. But it's good to be very strict with yourself. That discipline is helpful.
0: Yeah, I know. I sometimes feel like that, I mean... usually anxiety at worst, self-loathing can be kind of a superpower as well.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, like you said, there's there's limits to how far it can get. And when it gets out of whack, it, be- it becomes defeating. But if it's managed, and, and I think like a lot of these negative ideas, if you orient yourself to be in front of that pressure, so it's not pushing down on you and it's not pushing you back, but you put it behind you and you let it propel you forward, like the motivation to do a better job next time. I mean, that is... I can't tell you how many times I've been frustrated or disappointed with how something has gone, or how something uh, I did went, or how I did in a situation of all sorts, social situations, work situations. And all I had was thinking, well, next time I can try to do better. And also in feelings of of unfairness, if if someone did something to me that I felt was so wrong and, and so frustrating, and you want that revenge. All I would be able to say to myself that would help me move forward was say, okay, well, I'll never do that to someone else. What someone did to me, I'll never do that to someone else. Because my first instinct was I want to do that exact thing right back to them or, or whoever I could get my hands on. But there's 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 a, a more uplifting, again, reorientation, putting yourself in front of that bad feeling and using it to drive you towards towards something ultimately um, more good.
0: For anyone who's listening to this, maybe starting the day or ending their day, what's the one kind of piece of advice or mantra you want to offer to them
1: stay strong and stay thoughtful constantly increase your capacity to care to care about everything and know that uh, you're part of a great chain of humanity that has been engaged in one way or another with this same fundamental question of what the heck is going on and what are we supposed to do about it how are we supposed to feel about being alive it's 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 our quest to figure this out together And if we can celebrate it, then we're really partying.
0: Thanks for listening to the Anxiety Hour. If you need someone to talk to, mental health support is available 24 hours a day through Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14 and at lifeline.org.au. This episode of the Anxiety Hour was hosted by me, Wendy Seifert, produced by Laura Appelt with editing, mixing and mastering by Jeff O'Connor. Our series producer is Katie Roberts and post-production coordinator is Pia Caridi. Special thanks to the whole Vice Podcast family. Remember to check out our other shows, Extremes and Violent Times, wherever you get your podcasts. Next week on The Anxiety Hour, we're chatting to writer, performer and podcaster, Anna Easley. She'll reflect on the complexities of making a living out of your mental health and the sometimes surprisingly mundane realities of living with suicidal thoughts.